Maria Klyavkov from Healthy Morning Revolution is my very special guest today. Maria is a native New Yorker who moved to Calgary, Canada in the summer of 1988. For the past 30 plus years, Maria has been a dual citizen working in both Canada and the U.S. As an author, keynote speaker, and facilitator, Maria has been committed to the personal and professional development of her clients on both sides of the border. While serving as founding executive director of the Hospice Society of the Columbia Valley, Maria obtained her death and grief study certificate from the Center for Loss and Life Transition. During her studies with Dr. Alan Wolfelt, Maria discovered the epidemic of buried and carried grief that is spreading throughout North America. Maria stepped down from her position at the hospice and created Healthy Morning Revolution, a company dedicated to revolutionizing the way people think about grief and mourning. Maria is dedicated to fostering compassionate grief communities throughout North America by teaching healthy mourning as a pathway to happy living and joyful loving. Good morning. Thank you, Maria, for joining us. I'm so happy to have you here from Healthy Morning. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Shauna, for having me here. I'm, I'm looking forward to our conversations because they're always so brilliant. Oh, I am as well. I always, I always have so many takeaways and I always walk away pondering for the rest of the day about everything that we've chatted about. And then it just sort of goes into all sorts of different, in different directions. And what was interesting after our last conversation, I ran into one, two, three, five different people after our conversation that were somewhere on the grief spectrum or somewhere in the mourning spectrum. And, and just, it was just, it was really fascinating to be able to um, share more information and give more resources. And I just, I love that. I love this work. Now, will you, you will you share your background how did you get started and how did healthy morning come about yeah sure um so i i like to joke with people when i was the executive director of the hospice society of the columbia valley i used to joke with people um because my degree is in theater arts and psychology and who but a theater person would do this (laughs) but the truth of it is just that that um, i'm a dual citizen u.s and canada born in new york um i moved to calgary after the 88 olympics not connected to the olympics i was doing my master's degree in theater directing and what's important about that is from theater i got the importance of people's stories and i really understood that when they share their stories they're sharing their heart and um, and there's an honoring and there's a respect that needs to happen with that. And that's a big part of the grief journey. So um, when my father was dying, I, I would go and visit him in Seattle. At that time, my parents were living in Seattle and um, and I would sit with him and he had Alzheimer's. And when he was sleeping, I would get a list from the nurse saying, could you go visit these other people? And I had no understanding of why I was being asked to go. I thought it was because I had time. I was in town. Um, I was there for the whole day right. and maybe their family wasn't, but their family came. And, and so finally I went to the head nurse and I said, Jesse, what's this all about? And she said, I don't know what you do with them, but for 24 hours after you're with them, I can clock it. Um, they are calm. And the day that I'm talking about is I'm sending you to our most challenging cases for the day. <gasps> Your reaction, that was my reaction. What what are you talking about? So I started paying attention to what I was doing. And I realized that I was 
because my background is a director and dramaturg and a dramaturg is somebody who makes the story work, who works with the playwright and the director to make the story work that I understand in order to make a story work, you first have to hear what the story is. So with Alzheimer's patients, I was sitting across from them and I was watching them and I was looking for their cues. And if I wasn't part of the story, then I was staying silent. I wasn't trying to bring them to where I was. I was going with them to where they are, right? And that's what being a good companion in grief is all about, is I'm going to go to wherever you are and I'm going to listen to what you tell me. Yes. And so, you know, there's no such thing as a grief expert. There are people who are trained in grief. There are grief professionals like you and myself, but we are not experts. The expert on grief is the person who is grieving. Mm-hmm. And I had that understanding intuitively, instinctively. After my father died, two years after he died, I wanted to give something back. And I was looking for a hospice that I could volunteer at because I thought that's what I had figured out. And that's what I would like to continue to do. And I discovered that there was no hospice in in the eastern BC area that I was in at that time. Um, And I was offered the opportunity to create one. So I created a hospice. Two years into that, um, the RCMP came to us and said, Um, We are having huge challenges with fentanyl death and with vehicular homicide, and we need some bereavement program to send these people to so that they can deal with that level of loss. And I knew what I didn't know, right? I knew that that's not something I had any expertise in. I, I had no way of being present with somebody in that place. And so the board of directors said, we're going to give you one shot, get a grant, go get the training you need. And because there was such a need in the community, um, we got the grant. And I got to train with Dr. Alan Wolfelt, who is my teacher and my mentor from the Center for Loss and Life Transition. And boy, did I learn what I didn't know. And I learned that grief, no matter what the source of the grief, is not something to be feared. That, um, That we can work through our grief. And in learning that, Um, I became somewhat fearless about sitting with people in their grief and my skill set from theater, as much as I joke about it, that's a big part of what, what has allowed me to do what I do now. Um, Fast forward to, to working in this realm. um, Part of the grant was to ensure that I taught other hospices how to, uh, how to train their volunteers, that I was training their volunteers. So I was training volunteers um, in Interior BC for about two years following that grant as part of the ongoing grant. And, um, and I was just honored to do so. And I realized that grief and bereavement, because it's, it was such an epidemic at that time in our society, buried and carried grief was the biggest epidemic I could see. Mm-hmm. Um, I became really passionate about creating what I call compassionate grief communities, teaching people how to be with people who are grieving. Whether you are grieving now or not, there will come a time when you will be grieving. And so can we create communities? And this was well before the pandemic. This was well before COVID, right? Um, Then I lost my mother and I wrote a book about my journey of converting my grief to mourning. And and I really became very clear on the distinctions between grief and mourning. And I became passionate about um, stepping down from hospice so that I could do this focused work on grief and bereavement. And that's when I started Healthy Mourning. 
I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. I love, I love your story. And I love how, I love how everything just started to, to shift and align and all the pieces started to come into play. Now you mentioned there are some, some, some words, maybe some, I'd like to differentiate maybe between, you know, those different words. So we talk about bereavement, we talk about grief, we talk about mourning. Can you help us to understand what it is that, um, what, what separates them? What, what are each of those different, um, terms, if you will? Yeah. Yeah. We use terms interchangeably in this field. We use the term bereavement, grief, and mourning interchangeably, and they're not the same thing. And I think when, when we define them, we actually shed light on what the grief journey really is. So the term bereavement literally means to be broken apart and to have special needs because we're broken apart. If we're going to create compassionate grief communities, we need to understand that somebody who's grieving is somebody who is torn apart and they do have special needs. Yes. And we as a society have to be willing to listen to those special needs and address the special needs and, and be a safe space where, where those special needs can be addressed and, okay. and not be pushing people prematurely. So that's bereavement. Okay. Grief is the internal constellation of symptoms that we experience as a result of a loss, any loss. So it's not specific to human loss. It's not specific to death. It can be due to a fire. It can be due to a flood. In, in Calgary, certainly when the floods were going on, people were experiencing grief. Yeah. Um, so, so grief is the internal experience of the loss through the five areas of symptoms, physical, mental, emotional, social, and spiritual. So um, if we've got this internal experience, how do we get that internal experience to express out? That's mourning. Mourning is the external expression of what's inside. If we don't allow external expression, then what happens is grief becomes buried and carried. And contrary to popular wisdom, time does not heal this wound right? Grief is not something that time will heal. What, what will happen with time is that it'll become buried and carried. And then we will find that our symptoms of grief harden. So whether it's anger, whether it's sadness, what, whatever our symptoms of grief are, because we're burying and carrying it, it hardens over time instead of softening over time. Mm. When we mourn our losses, then we experience symptoms softening over time. And so it really is about a journey of ease and grace through the grief journey. And the grief journey is not designed to be forever. I hear people talking about, I will grieve forever. And they hold that up as, as a medal of honor, as, as a tribute and a loyalty to the person who died, yes. as opposed to understanding, no, no, no. To do that is to lock the relationship in the moment of the death. Instead, if we understand that death ends a life, not a relationship, we recognize that the relationship is continuing and the grief journey is designed to help us to let go of the physical presence so that we can be in the relationship ongoing. I love that. I love that. There are so many, so many mothers who have lost children that I work with and they have this idea that, um, you know, their life is over. It's, it's done there. You're not meant to bury a child. And, and I, I meet them exactly where they're at in that place. And I, I think I've shared this with you before that, you know, in the last six months, I've, I've chatted with so many mothers who, who have this idea that, 
Um, all will be well in their world when they too are no longer in the physical, when they have departed and they are reunited with that child. There's this idea that no, uh, nothing will be the same. I can't go on without you. It's like they just get sort of stuck in this idea that there's no hope, there's no meaning, and that the only way that they can they can work through and, and be okay with everything is when they are reunited with that that with that child. And I find that I find it heartbreaking for them to stay in that place. Can you can you shed light on perhaps where they are in that spectrum of grief? Where like where is it that they have become stuck, or where is it that it's that they've just decided this is it? This is this is or have they even have they even started to grieve? Is the question? So so yeah, absolutely they're grieving. I, I think the question you're asking is have they started to mourn? Right, because the grieving is the internal experience of the loss. They they're doing it yeah. right. Um, and are they mourning? Yes, they are because they're sharing it because they're actually saying it out loud. That's the mourning. They're converting what's going on on the inside to the mourning. The challenge is we, because we love our people, we want them to get from here to here and we want them to do it in a timely manner. And we want them to get and understand all of these things. And their heart is saying, this is wrong. They're having protest emotion, Right. They're protesting the fact my child has died. I'm not supposed to bury my beloved, you know, Um, and, and that's very real and very true. So how do we support them in this? We allow them to voice it because they're convert. They're doing what they need to do. They're converting their grief to mourning. We don't need to bring to them another point of view. We don't need to get them to understand anything the way they're going to grow beyond this moment in their grief journey is to work through it, right? And you asked if this is a part of the grief journey. Yes, it absolutely is. Protest emotion is part of the grief journey. Um, the, the very real death wish, I want to join them. And, and it's not that I wish to die. It's that I wish to join with and be with. Yes. And, and we, we grow through our grief journey to an understanding that I don't have to be with my beloved in the physical realm because they are no longer in the physical realm and I still am. So we go through this moment of profoundly wishing that I was not in the physical realm. Yes, exactly. It's it's a natural, true response to the loss. Absolutely. When I can talk through it, when, when people are not shutting me down or trying to fix it for me, Mm -hmm. that's when I, as the griever, or have the helm, right? The way I talk about it with the hospice volunteers that I train is you always want to make sure that the reins of the conversation are in the hands of the griever. I don't want to be telling you what you should be experiencing. I want to hear from you what you are experiencing. And if I'm doing that, then I'm assisting you in converting your grief to mourning because I'm a safe space where you can do it. And most people aren't, particularly when somebody is expressing what we recognize as a death wish right? We, we become really frightened of, well, no, 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 no. They wouldn't want this for you. And we start doing a guilt trip. Right? I've heard that. I've heard that. I've heard someone, there was someone that I, I actually heard say that to someone, just, you need to snap out of it. And, and they wouldn't want that for you. And just, and they just completely minimize that person's experience. And yeah, it's just, it's, it's, I believe it's just so important to let someone share, you know, in some of the sessions that I've done over the years, um, you know, it's, I just, I, I just hold space and 
and and that's it. And, and I don't have a hidden agenda where, you know, I want them to feel better and I want them to have a shift and I want them to, you know, leave and, and, and have it, the weight gone and the, the burden lifted. And it's just, no, it's just, you know, I, the work, the work that I do is, is I often refer to it as, you know, I'm, I'm holding sacred space for their heart. And, mm-hmm. and that is, you know, I'm, I'm blessed each and every day that I get to do that. And it's very delicate work. There's a delicate balance to if they're asking for guidance or they're asking for different perspectives. And that's one thing, but if they're not, as you're mentioning, it's so important to let them process. There was someone that I I worked with years ago and she said, um, it's very, very important that whenever someone is, is having that, you know, they're crying, they're having that outburst to not interrupt it to let it go as long as it needs to and, and just let it be. And, you know, my daughter came home one day and she said, you know, mom, why is her, why are you always replacing the Kleenex on the table for people? And I said, well, sweetheart, they're releasing and then they're, they're crying and this is a sacred space and it allows them to just let it go and just let it be whatever it needs to be. And I think the beautiful part is that through letting go and, and having that, that sacred space and that trust and feeling safe enough to let go, that's when they find the clarity. That's when they they start to formulate, okay, well, what are my next steps? And, and okay, maybe there is something different I can start to do. So it just, I find it opens up this whole world of possibilities for people when they're ready for it. Well, so so here's the thing. They are the experts on the grief. So they will know how long they need to be in whatever they need to be in. Mm-hmm to be what Dr. Wolfelt refers to as the companion, right? And and there are three rules of companioning. Rule number one, I'm going to bear witness. I'm going to bear witness to whatever is happening. Rule number two, I'm going to walk with so that you don't feel alone in that. I'm not going to let you go do your thing and I'll just kind of be watching it from the outside. I'm actually going to walk with you in that space. Yes. And number three, I'm going to validate. I'm going to validate your right to feel the way you do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right feel like I want to be with them physically. You have a right to feel this is wrong. This is right. Right. That's not me validating, validating. Yes. Go be with them. That's me validating this. This feeling is right and true. And I'm going to be present with you in the expression of that, you know, and you say not to interfere with it. It's so true because you then talked about Kleenex and and what's so great about having Kleenex present is we recognize everybody has the capability to reach for Kleenex when they need it or to look for Kleenex when they need it. But we as human beings wanting to be compassionate when somebody's crying, what's the first thing we do? We go for a Kleenex and we hand it to them. Um, And in so doing, we interrupt their flow, right? It's actually what, what Dr. Wolfelt refers to as the meta communication. Please stop crying. Yes, the means to stop crying, as opposed to, I'm going to be present with you. I'm going to trust and know that if you need a Kleenex, you know how to ask me for one, and that will not stop whatever crying jag you're in right now. Instead, I'm going to be really with you in this moment of pain. Yes, I don't know if you find this. I find when people have a release on on that sort of level, just whatever that 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 releases for them, that I find that they always apologize. They, they sort of gather themselves up and they've, okay, they've, they've cried enough and they dry their eyes. And then I always get an apology. I said, there's no apology. I I don't think it's a they, for me, it's an I, I apologize with all of my training, with all of my everything. I apologize for my tears. Um, We live in a society that's not comfortable. You know, if we're, if we're grief avoidant, we're mourning phobic. Yeah. 
you know, so let's just break that down for a minute. We, we will avoid our grief at all costs because, because of the misunderstandings. We avoid our grief because we think what our grief journey is asking for us is to say goodbye, to let go, to write the letters. You know, we have such a misunderstanding of what grief is. If we understood that grief is about journeying from we have a physical relationship with them to finding the place where the relationship is now. If we understood it's about finding the relationship, it's not about letting go, severing or saying goodbye to the relationship. We'd be jumping into the grief journey. We would understand that there is purpose to it and that it's not about letting go and saying goodbye. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But because we have this misunderstanding, we avoid it. Yes. And we avoid it in part because we live in a uh, don't worry, be happy society. And there's nothing wrong with being happy. Even in your grief journey, there, there is permission to be happy too, because it is possible. But here's the thing. Don't worry, be happy gives us the communication. You're not allowed to cry. Yes. And because we live in a society that seems to have this um, understanding that we want to be happy and up all the time, we all have this knee-jerk reaction to apologize for bringing sadness to the table. And wouldn't we live in a much gentler society if we had grief-compassionate communities that understood, you know what, I have reason for sadness, and there's a space in this society to hold my sadness so that I'm not walking it alone, and so that I actually can move through it quicker and easier. I love that. I love that. And it's, it's so true. You know, I've been to, I I don't even know how many funerals and and memorials I've been to. And, and, you know, you'll see people just, mm, just sort of brushing their tears aside and they just sort of, you see them sort of mm, just straighten up and that's enough of that. That's just, that's just ridiculous. Life goes on and they just sort of shut it down. And, and I would say nine times out of 10, those same people at some point will reach out and say, does it make sense that I don't feel good? Does it make sense that I'm, I'm feeling really angry and I'm not sure why? And it always goes back to that loss. I find, do you find that what I've found in my work is that when someone has, you know, for example, lost a child, that loss can ping pong and connect back to any other loss that they've experienced. Can you, can you share what that, what that looks like from your perspective? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I want to talk about a couple of things that you brought up there because you always bring such rich stuff. <laughs> so we want to be very gentle with the person in the funeral who is crying and then they wipe the tears away in the early time of grief. We need to dose. We, we can't take it all on at the same time. Um, and, and so we do, we all have moments of, okay, that's enough of that right now because it's all my heart can take right now. Yeah. And so we want to be very gentle, again, re- reminding ourselves that the person who's doing it, they're doing it. Mm-hmm. They let the tears go. They're doing it. If what's happening is they, they shut it down and they lock it down hard, all that's really happening is they're burying and carrying it. And so when you say, and then suddenly they're saying, well, I'm angry and I don't know why I'm angry or, or um, it, it may not even be an emotion. It may be, I'm feeling like my whole body is just really stiff and achy and, mm-hmm. and it seems to root back to like that day. Yeah. Because again, remember what I said, buried and carried grief, the symptoms harden. Mm-hmm. 
So if we're locking down, what's happening is the symptoms, the symptoms are, are cropping up. So if I'm suddenly noticing that I'm angry, if I'm suddenly noticing that, that I'm feeling achy, if I'm suddenly noticing whatever it is that I'm noticing, um, it's, it's the symptom bubbling up. And so that, that's the moment of opportunity because grief awaits welcome. Grief awaits the moment where we will recognize it and we will say, tell me what you have to share with me. Right. And at that moment, I have the choice to bury it again or not. So how lovely that these people come back and they come back and they say, so I'm noticing that I'm really angry and they're making the connective dots. What is this all about? I need to learn more about this. So you asked about the connection between losses where one loss can bring back other losses. Absolutely. One loss will will start to bring up the buried and carried grief that we have inside of us. Oh, there it is. Mm-hmm. Because again, grief awaits welcome. It's, it's one of my favorite lines of Dr. Wilfeld. Grief awaits welcome. It does not await time. And what that means is when a, a fresh loss comes to us and now we sit with that sadness, the grief that we've been bearing and carrying recognizes that as welcome. Wow. So, it, so it's bubbling up. Yes. It's bubbling up so that it can be released, so that it can be converted to mourning and released from the body. Oh, that is and so it's powerful. Why, it's why every time we cry, we feel lighter because crying is mourning. Crying is yeah. not grief. Crying is mourning. Crying, crying is, is mourning. external expression. Yes. Journaling is mourning, right? Planting a tree mindfully in, in honor of somebody is mourning. Talking about what we're feeling and experiencing is mourning. So judging somebody for how they're saying something or how they're expressing it, we are now going to participate in them shutting down again. Mm -hmm. That's why companioning is about bearing witness to how they're saying what they're saying and validating it. Because all we're doing is we're encouraging them to continue. I love that. And, and I, from my perspective and, and from the work that I've done, I find that I find that you're either called to this work and you have a capacity for it. You have a love for it. You are able to, you're able to sit in that space with someone and let them be and do whatever they need to do in that moment. And I, I do believe that I, I've seen um, different people over the years that just cannot, they just will say immediately, I'm sorry, I can't help you. I find um, I find that there, there needs to be a, a soft, a soft place for people to land with this work. Mm-hmm. And, and it just, it can't be, it can't be harsh. It can't be, we'll just get over it. And then you could have made another choice. And it just, I find that, that some, a lot of what I hear is, is it's very dismissive and, you know, it's very dismissive and let's just figure out, you know, some, some, you know, affirmations or incantations to get you through this. And you need to, it's your mindset and it's mind over matter. And it's just all of this stuff sort of comes up. And I've heard this time and time again, and um, oftentimes people just need a safe space to, to land, to open that up and to, um, you know, and again, it's, it's a, it can be a heavy energy it can absolutely be a very dense energy that it, that it, it starts to present, but it's just, I I think it's just, just holding that container safe and solid and letting them do whatever they need to and process and release and, and whatever that's going to look like for them in that moment. Certainly holding the safe space, you know, that, that, um, 
you want to make sure that the person who's on your wellness team deserves to be on your wellness team. And I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, But what you're speaking about when people are giving you the answer or the solution, what they're not doing is they're not honoring that you are the expert on your grief. So for me, that's always a, a signal slow down, right? Because if you are working with somebody who thinks they have the answer for you, they're not honoring your grief. What they are doing is, again, with all good intention, spiritual bypass means I'm going to bypass the part of the journey that's going to give me the peace that I need, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. So spiritual bypass is a real temptation when we're hurting so deeply. Yes. It's a very strong, seductive thing, right? You're going to help me to feel good without really going into the pain. But here's the thing. As Buddha said, life is painful. Suffering is optional. Yes. When we bury and carry, we are suffering. And what we don't recognize is spiritual bypass is a form of burying and carrying. Right? Spiritual bypass, the part that has not been truly processed, will get buried and carried. And the message is received. You know, your grief is not going to come to uh, an arena that is unsafe. It's like, you want to do spiritual bypass? Have at her, go to it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, the problem is then we discover that the symptoms are hardening and, and that's what we want to, that's what we want to be on the genuine journey for so that the symptoms are released with ease and grace, right? Absolutely. And, that, and that they're softening over time. Doesn't mean we're not going to have pain. It means that we're going to move through the pain with tools that we have, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, now, now, when we talk about a wellness team, I'm just going to bring up for a second, you know, my book, Healthy Morning, Happy Loving, yeah. this is all about conversion techniques and how to convert grief to mourning. But in chapter eight, I talk about creating your wellness team. And if I may, just because of what you said, it, it just felt really important. I'm just going to read Please. the first paragraph, if I may. Hmm. Grief is not a journey that we go on alone. Since it is likely that our family has also been impacted by this loss, they may not be able to be part of our wellness team. And that's really important because sometimes we're looking to our family to be part of that team, right? Um, Identifying who you can call when you need support is crucial. Traditional wisdom tells us that those closest to us will fall into one of three categories. One third will be neither helpful nor harmful. One third will be harmful, not because they intend to do harm, but because they are misinformed about the grief journey and they do not know how to be there for others in a supportive way. So again, this is all about me creating compassionate grief communities where more people learn how to be there for someone. And think about it this way as well. It's really important for us to understand that if if I've got buried and carried grief, Mm -hmm. Your grief is going to trigger my very great place. Yes. So the person who cannot be there for you, it's not because they mean harm to you. It's because they're terrified. And what knowing that does is that actually empowers the person who's grieving to bring a little grace to the person who's part of the not helpful third. And what we need to do is we need to bring both grace and discernment. And we need to say, you know what? 
you're not getting it. And exactly as you said, Shauna, you're not honoring my grief journey. And I don't even need to say this out loud to you. I simply need to recognize it and then recognize for this moment in time, and it's not forevermore. I don't need to sever the relationship, but for this moment in time, I need to be really uh, discerning of who I allow in my inner circle because I don't have the energy to, to be with you in, in, you know, protecting you from my tears. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's not what's true to do here. I love yeah. that. And, you know, there's, there's a, a, a quote by Brene Brown, you know, she had said, um, you, you need to surround yourself with uh, people who have earned the right to hear your story. Yeah. And so yeah. it's, and, and it, again, as you were saying, I mean, it's not that they're bad or they're wrong or they just, they don't perhaps. And I love that you're sharing that because I think, I think people don't realize that it's like, they, they just assume, well, my partner's going to help me through this. You know, if they've lost a child, my spouse can help me. My spouse, we're in this together. We'll figure it out together. We can help each other. And oftentimes it, it just almost drives a wedge between couples and partners when there is a loss um, yeah. of that nature. And I think it's just so important to, to really be uh, as aware as you can be in that moment who, who can, who can show up for you in those different ways. And, and knowing that that's okay. Like it's, it's like you were saying, it's, it's not because they're, you know, there's anything wrong. It's just, there's, I love that, that that's huge, that it's, um, that's my aha moment today. It's, you know, and there've been so many people that I've interacted with that um, they would almost get angry um, at, you know, the idea of, of talking about losing my son and they would just get angry and standoffish. And I can't tell you how many times it's happened where, you know, we've, we've finished up whatever conversation it was and okay, have a great day. See you next time, whatever it was. And then someone inadvertently would have said, well, they've also lost a child or they've had this loss recently, or they've, you know, and and there was something. So it was, it was, it was allowing me to step into, oh, the grace of, of that whole human experience that we all have loss. And it it helped me to understand that um, I didn't need to minimize my loss, but that there was more to it that, that I don't, I wouldn't share it with just anybody. Um, And it's interesting because I find with child loss, it, it really makes people uncomfortable. There is some, there's a, there's something in there. Maybe you, you can share a little bit about that, but there's, I find, you know, of course I've, I've lost, um, you know, my beloveds and I've lost, um, you know, friends and family and, and fur babies. And, you know, I've had a lot of loss, but losing my son was something in a category all on its own. Yeah. There, there are a couple that are in a category all its own. Um, child loss is one of them, spousal loss is one of them, and parental loss, because parental loss, particularly if it's the second parent who has died, and now we have the adult orphan feeling, um, each loss is unique, uh, you know, and, and how we approach it is unique because of our unique relationship with that individual, you know, for um, a parent to lose a child, particularly if it's an only child, comes into question, well, am I a parent anymore? I heard that from one of my clients and it's just, it's a heartbreaking moment, you yes. know? Also a heartbreaking moment for a spouse who who, um, who is left alone in the world and it's their first moment in front of a form that's asking them to fill out single, married, uh, widowed, separated. 
you know, we all have that moment of it's, it's just beyond comprehension. Right. Absolutely. And so it's, it's to tread gently in the world and allow the individual to explain what is this to you? Cause I, I can't know, even if I've lost a child, even if I've lost a spouse, even if I've had the loss from the same type of loss as what you've had, I have no idea of how this is processing for you. Mm-hmm. And you get to teach that to me. So when we go back to the wellness team, you know, the, the remainder of this basically says um, the good news is that one third will know how to be there and will be willing to support our journey. And so it becomes really important that we, that we find the people who are part of that third and we surround ourselves with that group of people without making judgment on the others. Because the part that's the neutral third is really important. They're the ones who, when you want to go out and you don't want to think about this anymore, you don't want to talk about this anymore, it's the neutral third you want to engage. Mm, of course. Right? Yes. Because you want to be with the people who who will take you to play tennis, who will take you to do whatever it is you need to do yes. um, and, and are really good with not talking about it. The supportive third, you really want to have to call at two in the morning and you want to have two or three people on that list. Right. So, um, so the way that the book works is I talk about the concept. I talk about my personal experience of how I use it. And because I know grief brain, grief brain can only handle like a two page chapter. The second page is, um, getting started heart points. They're not bullet points. They're literally, I don't know if you can see their hearts. Beautiful. And they're heart points to give you ideas. It's not to tell you how to do it. It's to prompt your thinking, because again, you're the expert on how can you utilize this. And so what's really important, and the reason I turned the page on this is because for this chapter, it's then, okay, so how do you discern? How do you begin to build your wellness team? And what does that look like? And then where do you put that list? Because um, we need that list of go-to people in front of us all the time, because we don't necessarily think to call them. Yes. And so we need it right in front of us at all times. Um, So I say, yeah, put it on your phone, but please also put it on your refrigerator. Because for people who may be doing some grief avoidance with some food thing, because that can happen too, you know, going to the refrigerator and seeing that list might suddenly prompt a phone call. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I love that. So, so this is about finding ways to nurture ourselves, to be forgiving of those who can't be there with us in this journey, including, like you said, a spouse who can't be there because they're processing their own grief in their own way. And there's nothing more isolating than that. And I think that's part of what contributes to what you're talking about, Shauna, about um, a, a parent who loses a child. Because... Um, when, when I lose my mother and my spouse is there supporting me, that's a different kind of support. But when we've both lost the child and we have different ways of processing our grief or avoiding our grief, wherever we are in that, that can be really isolating and alienating. Oh, absolutely. I love all of that. I love our entire conversation. Can you speak a little bit about, uh, we, we chatted a little bit about this previously, about that that 10% of our brain that is, is trying to figure, figure it out. Could you, could you go into that just a little bit? Absolutely. 
So, so again, I said grief, um, we have symptoms on many different levels. And one of the levels that we have grief symptoms on is mental. And part of the mental symptom of grief, it is completely normal to not be able to add two and two. It is completely normal to be distracted all the time to start a project here and then go somewhere else. And then three days later, find that that project's still where you left it and you completely forgot about it. It is completely normal to not be able to track a conversation and to go into mental fogginess, right? The reason that is not unusual in the grief journey is because 10% of your grief is working on a fundamental question. Where are they now? 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 Are they now? Right? And if we think about it like our computers, because this is the easiest way for me to understand it. If my computer is running a program underneath something else that I'm trying to do, how long does it take for me to open up another program? You know, I can be hitting the enter button a hundred times and I'm ashamed to say I have done that. Right? <laughs> I think we all have. <laughs> and, and I don't know that my computer is actually trying to download something and it's just kind of saying, could you hang on a minute, please? <laughs> like, you know? Well, that's our brain. Our brain is a computer, right? Yep. And our brain, a minimum, and, and it's not even 10% of our brain, it's a minimum of 10% of our brain is working on this problem. And it's not just working on this problem in our waking hours. It's working on this 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Wow. Mentally, we are exhausted. It's working on it in our sleep. It may be causing some sleep disturbance, right? There, there's, there's a ton of stuff that's going on in there, right? We need to give the avenue of expression to that. And when I say it's working the problem, the brain as a computer is meant to solve problems, and the reason it's not going to find the solution to this problem is because grief is not a problem to be solved. Where they are now is not a problem to be solved. It's a discovery. It's for us to come to reconciliation. Again, a brilliant word of Dr. Wofeltz. We come to reconciliation with our loss, which means we come to a place of being good with maybe a bit harsh for people who are early on in their grief. But what we mean is, we come to a level of acceptance of they're no longer part of our physical world. But the way that we do that is we find where they are now. We find where our relationship is now, and it may be a relationship of memory, but what that does, it, it allows us to reclaim those memories. Because if it's buried and carried, we don't get to remember those precious, precious moments with our loved ones. We don't get to celebrate that. Mm -hmm. I think I told you before, my mother was a poster child for buried and carried grief. Mm -hmm. Her brother died in his early forties. Um, she was in her mid forties at the time and, and for the rest of her life, and she lived to be 80. So half of her life, anytime her brother came up, her body would start shaking. Tears would start falling. She would do exactly what you're talking about. Um, and, and it was the hardened symptoms that were coming out and her body was shaking so violently because they were hardened in her being. And I kept saying, please share the stories, please. And she just couldn't go there. She wouldn't go there. And, and it's our fear that, that it will take us out instead of understanding what's taking us out and what's cutting us off at the knees, quite literally, is our inability, right? And so now she doesn't have the memories because she's so afraid of accessing the memories. That's how buried and carried grief works, right? Yeah. Um, when we find where the relationship is, we reclaim the memories, we reclaim the love, we 
we work with all of this in our own pace, in our own time, because we are the experts. Right. I love that. I love that. It, you know, and, and, and I love this idea that, you know, we, we, it's like you, we get to figure out where that relationship is now. And like you're saying, it could be the memories that you had with that person, um, you know, from a spiritual mediumship standpoint, um, you know, that love never dies, that connection is there. And if you'd like to experience your loved ones, you can do that. There are ways that you can do that. Absolutely. And so I love that. I love that it, it brings hope. It, it, I love, I love giving people the understanding of the whole spectrum. I mean, it's not, you know, as we talked about when we first, when we first started chatting, um, you know, there's, there's mourning, there's grief, there's bereavement, there are all these different terms that are flying around. And so I'm just so grateful that you were able to spend time with us to help us understand all of those different components and what that looks like. And um, what are, what are some, so we've got the, the bereavement is, um, you know, they are in a state of, could you, could you go through those three categories just one more time? Yeah. So bereaved just means I'm, I've been broken and, and I have special needs because I've been not just broken, but torn apart. Yes. Right. And torn apart from the inside. So of course I have special needs. It's simply an identifier. Yeah. That says something's torn me apart and I have special needs. I'm bereaved. Mm-hmm. Grief is my internal response to the loss. It's the constellation of mental, physical, emotional, social, and spiritual symptoms that live inside of me that prompt me socially to be separate from and to isolate for a while. That's perfectly fine. It's a symptom of that inner experience, right? And so that that constellation of inner experiences and symptoms, it's trapped inside of us until we choose to convert it into an external expression. And mourning is the external expression of the internal experience of loss. That's, that's the simplest way I know how to say it. And, you know, we so fear the sadness and and the pain and, and the negative emotions, positive emotions can be part of this journey as well. And they ride interchangeably. Mm -hmm. So when we think of it as a grief journey, and we recognize that in this moment that something is bubbling up, if instead of running from it, instead of spiritually bypassing it, instead of trying to fix it, you know, I, I have pain in my back or in my knees, or I have a skin rash. In, instead of trying to fix it, if I could actually find ways to talk with it, if I could find ways to hear what my grief wants me to hear around this, now I'm on the grief journey. Now the symptom can soften because I've gotten the message because I'm on the journey. I'm not fighting the symptom. I'm on the grief journey. And the building of relationship comes from our willingness to be in the journey because we only hear the relationship when we're in the journey. I'll give you a very practical example of that. I was driving home from the hospice office. It was many months after my mother died. Uh, I think six months after six or eight months after my mother died. And I had had a horrible day. And all I wanted to do was go home. And like I had done for two years prior to her death, call her. I just wanted to hear her voice. I just wanted to talk to her. And I had done it every day. It was a habit. But it's been, you know, over six months since she died. I know she's not on the other end of the phone. And that thought alone is wrecking me as I'm driving along this country road to get home. And and I'm crying so hard that I have to pull over and cry in my car. 
because I know I'm going to turn into it. It's coming up. It's bubbling up. I'm not going to push it down. I'm not going to force myself on the road. I'm going to give it its space. And I remember saying out loud, it hurts so bad. I just want to talk to you. All I want to do is talk to you. And I heard her voice in my head saying, so talk to me. And with her very thick Hungarian accent, I won't even try and, and replicate it, right? So talk to me. I'm right here, right? You don't have to go home. Talk to me. It was the beginning of my understanding of how close she was now. It was my beginning of my understanding of where the relationship is and that it is alive, that I can talk to her, can talk out loud, and I can hear her. And I know it's not me because it's her verbiage. It's her patterning. I'm hearing her, right? That that is how we find the relationship. But I would not have found that as an intellectual exercise. I would not have found that had I not been willing to go to my place of pain, right? Yeah. And so we need to understand that there's purpose to the pain. It's not pain for pain's sake. It, the purpose to the pain is to help us to move from where we are now in our understanding of what's happened to where we're growing to. And grief is a life process and it is a growth process. Who we are at the other end of this is not going to be who we were back then. And any one of our friends who says, and they will say, I just wish you could be the way you were. Well, we <laughs> wish that too. We, with all of our might, we wish for our life before they died yeah. with them in it alive. Mm -hmm. But the reality is we will never be that again. And we're in this in-between time when we don't know who we're becoming. That's part of that special needs. The special needs is because we're torn apart and we're this in-between time when, when we haven't found who we are now. Mm, I love that. I just love, love all of it. I love the information and so many, so many takeaways from our conversation today. Now, would you, where can people find your book? And I know you have an event coming up, so we need to know about that and how people can find you. Yes. Well, thank you for that, Sean. I appreciate that. Yeah, so the book, and what an honor to be able to read from it. Thank you for that. Mm. Um, the book and all things that are Healthy Morning, you go to healthymorning.com. So it's all one word, healthy morning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, healthymorning.com. And you will find the link to get the book. You will find the link to register for the next live launch. So live launch is the program that you're talking about. It's coming up um, February 28th to, I think it's the 28th. Yes, the 28th to March 4th. I just was looking at my calendar. Um, it's a one week program, which is just one hour a week because we don't want to be overwhelming anybody. We don't want to be holding anybody's feet to any fires. That's not what we're about. We are about gentle conversation, just like you and I have had here, where it is a program and we've run it nine times now. This will be our 10th live launch. I'm very proud of that. Uh, we'll be giving away things like the book and other things during the launch. The purpose of the launch is for people to truly learn how to be with their grief, whether it's buried and carried grief, whether it's fresh grief. Um, if they are not sure if they've got buried and carried grief and they, they actually just want to be there to learn how to be supportive of a friend who is grieving. It really is for anybody because part of what we do is we do a little myth busting where we talk about these myths, like the ones we've been talking about, about time heals wounds. Um, we talk about why they're myths and we're, we talk about what the truth of the grief journey is so that we befriend the grief. And the whole point, it's called the Healthy Morning Revolution Live Launch because we want to revolutionize the way people think about their grief and mourning. 
if you're not available at the time of day that we do it, because it's 11 to 12 Pacific time, um, if you're not available for that hour, we record it. Um, you have a classroom where you can watch it if you need to rewatch it, because many people, particularly with grief on the brain, you know, you watch it and then you need to refresh. You're with us for seven days. So even though we go the five days, the reason we made it seven days, honestly, is we do one day of Q&A where I just answer everybody's questions, but we haven't been able to answer all of the questions in the one day. So um, I add days if we have special topics that we want to be looking at, and all of that is dependent on the questions that we get in from the participants. So you just click on register for live launch, one hour a day, Monday to Friday, um, and it's just a really lovely way to be in community together. Uh, you can also join me on Facebook. I'm on Facebook at Healthy Morning. So um, there are a number of ways to access me. Oh, well, I thank you so much. I, I just, I love, love our conversation. And there are so many beautiful takeaways and, and insight. And, and um, my, my hope is that uh, our, our listeners will, um, will have aha moments and will, it will help them um, as they work through their, their grief into their mourning and wherever they are on their journey, uh, that it gives them, gives them hope and to let them know that they're not alone and that there are so many different resources. And, um, and again, we're just so, so thrilled that you were able to join us here today. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me on with you. I love our conversations. I always learn stuff from being on with you and coming from Calgary. So when I moved, as I said, I moved to Calgary. I lived there for almost 30 years. Um, I'm just so thrilled to know that you are in that home community of mine doing such wonderful work. So thank you thank for this time and for this space. And to all of the listeners, my wish for us all is compassionate grief communities and, and that we learn how to work through our grief journey with ease and grace so that we can have gentler journeys. Yes. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Namaste. 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 